Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Parafans. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. What's up, Parafans? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And while you're listening to the show tonight, make sure to check out paratruthradio.com where you can see more about us, what we do, and all the amazing things that are coming from Paratruth Radio. And while you're there, feel free to check out our Patreon account. By contributing, you'll become an executive producer of an upcoming episode of Paratruth Radio and officially become part of the family, which will include, of course, special monthly behind-the-scenes access to our production, which, let me tell you, is pretty interesting. So something to look forward to and uh, maybe take part of. <laughs> um, so got a interesting topic for you guys this week. And, you know, Eric talked about it a little bit at the end last week. We announced it last week. And I know everybody's probably thinking, why is this paranormal? But we'll get into that. But first... Eric, why don't you take the mic and explain a little bit. In the 1940s, during World War II, steel production was lacking in Britain, and they didn't have the resources to send fighter planes and bombers to search for U-boats. But that is until an idea was proposed, and the idea was something unexpected. A ship made of indestructible ice. Now, Paratruth presents... Piecrete? We don't need no stinking Piecrete. All right, folks. So Eric mentioned just before the little transition intro there that uh, this is a project that goes back to World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Project Habakkuk, or ha- ha- how do you pronounce that? <laughs> Habakkuk. Oh. It, there's a couple of different pronunciations. Uh, I usually call it Habakkuk. It could be Habakkuk. So. Okay. And a substance that was called picrete. Mm-hmm. And so since you were the one that decided that this was an interesting topic. I would love to hear your, uh, what you found on the research and your, your explanations of this. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, I actually came across this on a, uh, on an episode of mysteries at the museum on travel channel a few weeks back. And I was like, you know, some stuff you listen to on TV or watch on TV or listen to on the radio or whatever. You're like, is this real? So I had to do my own research. Sure enough. It's real. Uh, and it's interesting. The first thing that is, that I think just kind of came off the top of my mind is the word Habakkuk, the fact that they called it Project Habakkuk. And as, 
it's kind of weird because I know what Habakkuk is, and probably many of you who uh, are Christian or at least read the Bible or know of the Bible probably know what it is. It's a book in the Bible. And in particular, the reason that uh, this man named Jeffrey Pike, who I'm going to get into in a moment here, uh, the reason he named it Project Habakkuk is because this was something that he was going to build that just people would not be able to believe. Habakkuk 1.5 says, Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if I were to told, even if I were to told you. Um, so in that sense, it's really interesting that he would name it this because it's a project that just no one would ever have thought of, uh, previously. You know, it's kind of just out there, mm. but, the project is simply the idea to build this huge boat made of ice. And they, uh, Jeffrey Pike, uh, who is an old friend of J.D. Burnell, had actually came up with this idea because at the time they were running low on steel. Uh, planes didn't have the fuel to make it out into the center of the mid-Atlantic to look for U-boats. And so what they wanted to do was build a boat that could go out onto the Atlantic for months and months, if not years on end, uh, and be kind of like a, a refueling point for airplanes. Mm. So they can fly halfway over the Atlantic, stop on the, on the, uh, the ice boat, get refueled and then head back out looking for these U boats. Um, and originally the idea was according to Pike, uh, thinking of like the Titanic incident, how it sunk from hitting an iceberg, you know, his thought was icebergs are huge and they're practically indestructible. In fact, Boats like the Titanic who have hit it have sunk and the ice has remained perfectly fine for the most part. Um, but the one thing he didn't take into consideration was the fact that these icebergs are relatively small on top. Like the major, mm-hmm. the major frame and body of the iceberg is underwater. Also, icebergs are prone to flipping or rolling, uh, especially with big waves and stuff like that. So he had to come up with some kind of idea in which he could implement the basics and idea of ice uh, and use it as a ship or build it, create it into a ship. Uh, so the idea eventually came to him uh, that he would kind of design it like your normal boat. Um, but there was an unfortunate side effect. Ice melts real fast, too fast. Even in negative degree temperature, ice melts. Uh, and he realized that in order for the ice to uh to stay perfectly solid and not melt at all, they'd have to keep the ship at around three degrees Fahrenheit. Regardless, the problem that they found was that the ice is very brittle. The moment it starts melting, it begins to crack, and once it cracks, you're pretty much done for. So he came up with this idea for Pikecrete, is what it's called. It's named after Pike. Uh, and the Pikecrete, Pikecrete is basically water, frozen water and wood pulp mixed together. The effect of that creates basically a giant ice cube or an ice cube of whatever size that is nearly indestructible. And so there have been plans that were put in, you know, they Pike got the got the uh uh the idea out there to the generals. They even contacted the US because they knew they couldn't build it without the help of the United States. And they began to gather some kind of ideas and blueprints on creating this boat. And sure enough, by 1943, in the summer of 1943, 1944, they began to see some realization of what they were building. And they decided to start building these small uh, 
test subjects made out of pycrete to see just how strong it really was and if it would hold up. Because interestingly, there was one thing that was mandatory. Actually, there were a couple, but there was one that was really mandatory, and that was the fact that the boat needed to be torpedo-proof. Something you wouldn't necessarily think ice is capable of. Doing, right. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, in order for it to be torpedo-proof, they would have to build the hull of the ship 40 feet thick. 40 feet's a lot. Mm. Um, but they knew that if you were to make it out of pycrete, one, the ice doesn't melt as fast. Two, it's easier to mold because it's part wood. And three, it was a whole lot less likely to flip over and it would be even less expensive because there's a, an abundant amount of wood, uh, and metals that would, that they can, uh, at their disposal. Hmm. Um, and so it's interesting because eventually they decided to test this pycrete to see just how strong it would be. And so when they, when the Brits came over uh, to the U S and had a meeting, Somebody put a block of ice on the floor and then put a block of pycrete in the floor. Mind you, one is made of just simply water, frozen water. The other made of frozen water and wood. At the Quebec conference in 1943, uh, Lord Mountbatten set up these two blocks, the pycrete and the ice, and he put out a pistol. And he pointed the pistol at the block of ice and pulled the trigger. Sure enough, the ice just splintered into a bunch of pieces. Then, Does it say what kind of gun it was? No, it's not specific. Okay. Um, but then he ended up moving the pistol to the pycrete and pulled the trigger. And guess what happened, Justin? It didn't splinter. It didn't splinter. In fact, the bullet ricocheted off the pycrete and gazed Ernest King, the an admiral. He's an admiral uh, across the leg. And despite the initial reaction of Ernest King, like, oh, my gosh, I just almost got shot by a bullet, he was completely impressed by it. And they decided at that moment, along with the U.S., who saw it and said, hey, we're going to do this. Let's go ahead and do this. Uh, so interestingly, you know, it was really cool the amount, the type of people that were there, because you had Ernest King, you had uh, Winston Churchill, Franklin D. Roosevelt, uh, Sir Ellen Brooks. They were all there to witness this. And some people questioned whether or not this whole bullet ricocheting off of the pycrete was real. But looking into the history and looking into Ellen Brooks' diaries, they found that the uh, the story was told over and over again by multiple people, which only goes to strengthen and solidify the fact that this bullet really did bounce off the pycrete, hence making this particular material indestructible. Hmm. Yeah. It, it- and like I said at the beginning, folks, I I know you guys are like, what does this have to do with paranormal? And again, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, we're going to go to Eric's random fact of the day, and we'll be right back with Paratruth Radio. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Have you ever bird watched? Have you ever noticed a difference between city birds and country birds? Did you know that there's actually a difference between the two? According to ScienceMag.com, researchers have found that city birds are more aggressive than country birds. 
Research found that sparrows are more aggressive when there's an abundant amount of food within their territory, which is more common in the city than in the country. Due to such, the birds in the city are more defensive, likely because more food is valuable to them, and possibly attracts more thieves. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've been talking about the ice boats of World War II, specifically, specifically Project Habakkuk and Pycrete. And the this was an invention by a man named Jeffrey Pike. Uh, the interesting thing about this is the Germans even had this idea, uh, Dr. Gerk von Waldenberg had this idea, and they laughed him out of the 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 uh well whatever meeting whatever it was and basically made a joke of this guy that had this very exact same idea and that was in 1930 so that was just what 13 years before right you know this particular and there was there was someone else uh uh in 1940 Mm -hmm. there was a similar idea to make an island out of ice uh but at the time you know all the officers just kind of joked about it, thinking, oh, this is just ridiculous. Um, and then sure enough, just two years later, boom, here we go. It's actually in the works to create this boat. Pretty cool. One thing that I've been saying is how is this, how is this paranormal or how does it fall under the paranormal umbrella? Well, first and foremost, it's one of the most intriguing things I've ever heard of. Like, I, I don't think there would have ever been an invention this Excuse the term cockamamie before before that, and probably not too many after that. As far as mm-hmm. a bulletproof ice cube, I guess you could call it, and um, it's just one of those things that kind of blows your mind. The other thing too is it almost makes you wonder if there was a almost conspiracy theory behind this because eventually i believe they scrapped the idea mm-hmm. well the the reason they ended up there's a couple reasons why they scrapped it uh first and foremost they realized that it would be a heck of a lot more expensive to create one or even a fleet uh of these ice ships than it would cost to create a fleet of just normal you know uh navy boats normal runway ships um on top of that, the U.S. ramped up the production of steel, which they ended up take, you know, selling to Britain, who then was able to create their boats. Also at the time, considering they were thinking these ice boats really wouldn't have made a huge impact, especially since at the time the U.S. was already in the works of building the atomic bomb. Um, so at that point, by the time like 1944 came around, it was already two years in the making, and they're like, look, it's just going to cost way too much money. It's going to be in the billions of dollars to, to create this. Uh, not to mention the boat would be so heavy that it would only move at about two to four knots per hour as opposed to, I think it's like, uh, I think 20, close to 20 knots or something like that, um, for the ships uh, of the day. So really the, you compare the two, it's almost pointless to create the one, even though it would have been a huge success if 
they're actually capable of uh, succeeding at it. Uh, but there were a couple of other incidents or issues as well. Uh, one in particular is that the boat had to be 2,000 feet long and 300 feet wide to accommodate airplanes coming in and off of the boat. Mm. Uh, and it had to have a range of about 2,000 miles, something meaning that's how far it could go. Now, at the time, I don't think boats were really capable of getting as far uh, without proper fueling, and planes definitely couldn't get as far without proper fueling. Um, but nonetheless, there's a there's another issue. Finally, one of the big issues is that it was originally proposed that the ship would maneuver, how it was going to maneuver and steer. And it was proposed that it would maneuver by varying the speed of two motors on either side of the ship. However, the Royal Navy decided that a rudder was essential. But the rudder would have to be over 100 feet high, which would cause a huge problem with controlling the rudder, let alone even mounting it to the ship. So because of that alone, it was already way over their, they were way over their heads. In August of 1943, some chief of staff ended up coming together and talking about Pike's original concept, ended up producing three alternate versions. Uh, it was the Habakkuk 1, the Habakkuk 2, and the Habakkuk 3. Now the first one was simply made out of wood, and the third one, which is similar to 2, was smaller and faster. However, Habakkuk 2 was actually the closest to Pike's original model, but it would have been very slow, as I had said earlier, only a couple of knots per hour, uh, very large, uh, but self-propelled and made of pikecrete and with steel per, uh, reinforcements. The size would have been about 1,200 meters long and about 180 meters wide, which in translation was actually much bigger than the original model, because it would have ended up being, instead of 2,000 feet long and 300 feet wide, it would have been 4,000 feet long and about 500 feet wide. So we're looking at something just absolutely massive. Uh, basically was, an island of made of basically ice. Basically an island. It was, I think it was like almost three times the size of the, uh, was it Queen Mary? That was Jeez. the biggest boat you know, on the ocean at the time. Mm. Uh, so yeah, huge and quite frankly, a lot of money. So needless to say, that didn't quite pan out and it caused a lot of issues in regards to money and just the whole, you know, idea of creating something so big. Which it's kind of funny to think about that. Like, yeah, the, (laughs) one of the most, two of the most abundant things on earth, wood and water Mm -hmm. combined together would cost more than a metal that you have to basically melt resize, reform, which, I mean, you would have to do that with, with the pikery too, but right, it's just weird that that would cost way more to do something with that compared to steel. Yeah. Well, and get this, because this is, I think, what makes it so just impressively slow and just, it, this will get you the idea of the size. The Queen Mary, I mean, most people, I think, know the Queen Mary, mm-hmm. uh, probably one of the most popular ships around beside the Titanic, only weighs in at 81,960 tons. Now, I say only. It has a lot of tons, but I say only in comparison to the Habakkuk 2. 81,960 tons. The Habakkuk 2 would have come in at around 2.2 million tons. Jeez. Yeah. Ridiculous. And it would have used steam turbo generators uh, to supply 33,000 horsepower for 26 electric motors mounted in separate external nacelles. The size of the ship alone... 
and this is something I was going to mention earlier, it would have included 40 dual-barreled 4.5-inch dual-purpose turrets and numerous light anti-aircraft guns, and it would have housed an air an airstrip and up to about 150 twin-engined bombers or fighter jets. Well, planes. I guess they weren't really jets at the time. Yeah. Not quite the same. Not yet. Um, <laughs> not, not quite yet. That's a lot of firepower. That's a lot of firepower for something made of ice. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, th- they talk, they talk about, uh, it being nigh indestructible, but it, I mean, eventually it would start to melt. It would. I mean, it wouldn't be instantaneous as it would with just ice, but it, it eventually would start to melt. And I, I guess that is part of the reason they probably, Decided like other than the the magnitude of the size of this thing, um, they're like eh, it's eventually just gonna turn into mush in the ocean. What's the point of doing this? Well, and that's actually see now that's a, that's another thing they had on their mind when developing the blueprints for it because what they wanted to do was create a huge intercooler on the inside of the ship. Basically, there'd be a single station for the intercooler, and they would run these pipes with uh, coolant in them mm. from one end of the ship to the other, ultimately trying to keep the ship at around three degrees Fahrenheit so that it wouldn't bow out or break or melt or whatever. So so there was that, which, of course, probably only adds to the weight and everything. But, yeah, in the end, it was really – it was something that, you know, when they compared it to what they had and, you know, in, in the efforts of winning the war, it wasn't really necessary. Again, with the U.S. creating the – uh, atomic bomb and then also ramping up the production of steel and making boats again. At that point, they had already been had everything in the bag like, to win. So they kind of gave up on this particular idea. But of course, the idea hasn't left. People are still around the around the world are trying to develop some way of creating this boat or an island, as we mentioned earlier, because, of course, there are people who think if they could create an ice island, then they could live on the ocean free from everything. No yeah. rules, no, you know, they don't have to give in to any laws. So they're not a part of a certain government organization. Right. Yeah. Except then it's like, I think someone's going to make you like, then the Atlantic Ocean is yours. Then, then they're pirates <laughs> and then the <laughs> English Navy is going to come after them. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's like, okay, I mean, now, mind you, the islands that we, not all of them, but most of the islands uh, around the world are part of, you know, another country or mm. continent, right? Right. Uh, so someone owns it. But if you had this island made of ice by itself and no one's really there to support you and someone comes along, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, you're on your own. It's like, hey. You can create allies, but I don't know how well that would go over. I was going to say, I am the official country of Pycrete. I have U.S. Navy. I have the Marines. No, no, you don't. We just talked to them. You don't get nothing. Um, it, it, it's, an, it's an ice island. All you have is Jack Frost, my friend. <laughs> He's not doing much. <laughs> you don't even have Jack Frost. You have Frostbite. <laughs> so one thing that... I just kind of chuckle at is like Churchill was enthusiastic about this idea. And I just picture him in his bathtub with bubbles and this guy comes up to him and they're like, you know, there's this guy, Jeffrey Pike. He came up with an indestructible ice wood boat. And he's like, bye George, that's it. Let's go for it. 
Sorry, <laughs> English listeners. Sorry. I'm, I know that's the worst horrible Churchill ever, but, um, that's the best English accent. <laughs> o- older, actually, heavy set yeah. English accent I got. <laughs> that's actually, I mean, I don't know if you, it's funny that you say that because I don't know if you had, you had read that or seen that in one of the videos, uh, about the ship. But, uh, I forget who it was that I think, I think it went to Winston Churchill to show him, uh, this pie creek. And of course he was in his bathtub and he just walked, this guy walked right in, right in front of naked Churchill, took the pie creek and dropped it in the tub. <laughs> and he's, Churchill's like, what the heck is going on here? But then he realized that the pie creek wasn't melting and he was like, by golly. What is this, you know? And so, yeah, sure enough, he's in on it just like that. And like, hey, I don't know how I'd feel about that, you know? Some guy just break into my bathroom while I'm naked in a tub and drops a piece of ice and wood in it. Like, dude, Jeffrey Pike is just like, boo. Look at this, Churchill. Get in the tub with you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bubble man. Bubble. Not these bubbles. Personal bubble. Get out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, funny to think about, but uh, it, interesting as well because, I mean, again, like I said earlier, you wouldn't think anybody would be able to come up with something this off the wall, really. I mean, right. something that would somewhat replace steel in a sense as far as the fact that they were low on it. So they had to come up with something else. Mm-hmm. So one thing that does come to mind, and it's just something that I've thought about since uh, you had suggested this topic and since we've been talking, is, you know, eventually the U.S. is like, you know what, Britain, we got this. Here's your steel. You know, we're also coming up with the atom bomb. Um, Do you think that... The U.S. had that idea all along and then just decided, you know what, they they have proven that they're our allies, so we're going to help them. Do you think it was something more like internal where they were trying to make a mockery of this guy? What are your thoughts? You mean in regards to the, the steel? Well, as or- far as the – the I, I get England was short on steel. But yeah, mm-hmm. as far as America not providing that sooner, as well, yeah, well as, you know, right. maybe trying to make a mockery of this guy, Jeffrey Pike, until he finally came up with the stuff. But then they made a mockery of, mockery of him even more being like, dude, this is just going to take way too much time. Here's the steal. Right. Well, at the time, if I'm not mistaken, according to some of the videos I watched, um, the steel production, even in the U.S. at the time, was kind of – okay. Backed up, you know, everybody was kind of pretty much short in the war. Well, I, uh, I know and, that was World War Two was a massive shortage on a lot of stuff. So. Right. And so, again, it wasn't until 1944 when the U.S. was finally able to ramp up production and was like, OK, now we haven't we're creating enough steel here that we can send to you guys so you can build your ships. And uh, and at the time, it was kind of cool because in 1944 as well, this is another reason also why they ended up um putting a, a hold on building the vessel uh, made of ice is because the uh, introduction of long-range fuel tanks at, was developed. Uh, so it really allowed British-based aircraft uh, extra, patrol, extra patrol time over the Atlantic. Uh, so that was just another thing that kind of added to it. Like, why, 
why spend all the money on a ship when we can use this, these funds for these new long range fuel tanks and, you know, better equipment to fight fire, you know, firepower equipment and whatnot like that. So, right. Yeah. Now, one thing that you had mentioned, um, was the, they were trying to find out if Pie Creek could take a, a missile hit. Did they ever mm-hmm. succeed in uh, testing that? You know, it's interesting because we, it depends on where you read or, or where you look. Now, on the episode that I watched on Mysteries at the Museum, uh, it was said that Pie Creek did indeed create a, uh, a smaller test version of the Pie Creek boat and ended up launching a torpedo at it. And it practically made absolutely no damage to the boat at all, which is why they were so stunned and ended up uh, really pushing to get these boats made because it appeared that they really were indestructible. Now, that's the only source I came across that really claimed okay. that, that they fired a torpedo of some sort at it, but that's one source amongst you know the many that I've looked at, so who knows? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate that they, they scrapped the idea. Um, did you c- come across, and I only dug as far as World War II. Did you come across anything where Pycrete's been used after that at all? Uh, not particularly used. The, the, <laughs> the only thing I came across was an episode of Mythbusters, <laughs> which they test Pycrete. Uh, other than that, no, I haven't really seen anything about Pycrete being used today. But from what I understand, which is interesting too, because like, I'm going to just talk about Mythbusters a bit here because they actually tested Pycrete to, with the, uh, with just ice to see which one was stronger and which one would last longer melting wise and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And of course, Pycrete won both of the events, but Pycrete still broke when dropped from about eight feet high. It, it didn't shatter like ice, but it just cracked in half. Okay. So the guys ended up making what they called super pycrete, which is basically frozen water and newspaper instead of wood pulp. Okay. Uh, and that, I think what that does is it gives a little more flex to the ice. Uh, and because it's a solid piece, it's not like pulp is really just pressed together, pieces pressed together basically. Uh, so when it falls and cracks, it's just going to splinter everywhere. But since paper is one solid flexible piece, when it's frozen and you drop it, it's nearly indestructible. It's just not going to crack. It can't crack. You know, it's hard to. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see anything anywhere that said that they still are trying to use Pie Creek to this day. Um, I'm sure people found use for it in some way or another, but may, maybe building ice shelters. <laughs> we should know? make business cards out of Pie Crete. Yeah, just what I want. Frozen <laughs> business cards in my back pocket all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, the reason I ask is because it, it is a, a very interesting concept, and it is. you would think that there would be more applications other than a military uh, application. So mm-hmm. it makes it makes you think, like, what? I mean, we could be building, like you said, igloos out of high crete, right. and people would would be better off than just regular igloos in the sense that it would be a little more fortified. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because you would have thought that we would have seen something about it as of late at some point, because we heard about, we heard about this ice boat conception, um, 
or Ice Island even, in the 1930s. We heard it again in the early 1940s, then in 1942. Um, and so that's, you know, roughly 10 years, mm. a 10-year span that we heard about this. Now, it's been a little over 70 years since World War II, and we've yet to hear anyone come up with the idea of trying to create something out of ice like this. But there's still talk about trying to do it. It's not broad stream or mainstream or anything, and I think most of the reason behind that is because everyone's interested in uh, – developing cloning and different genetic stuff or going to Mars and things like that as opposed to building a ship made of ice. But then again, it's like, what's the point at the rate that we're at now? uh, Even though it'd be cool, I think building a ship out of ice would actually be backtracking uh, considering where steel production is now iron and strengthening everything, you know, I mean, come on, we got, we got planes that are undetectable by radar. So I mean, if you can do that, I don't think a boat made of ice is right up our alley. So, I think it would be a very niche market for sure. <laughs> right. And not to mention global warming. I mean, that can't have good effect on ice boats. Could you imagine a rocket made out of bicrete that would just disintegrate <laughs> into the atmosphere? <laughs> oh man, the horrors. But uh, maybe that's, that, that should be our next pitch to NASA. Hey guys, make it out of bicrete. It's indestructible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, any any other information that you came across? I mean, like we said, there's I mean, there's some people that are like, "Hey, we found this idea, let's test it." Mm-hmm. Um, but any other information? Did, did you find anything else on this the subject other than World War II in general? Just like even with with uh, Pike, did did anything else come mm-hmm. out for him? No, I think at the, I mean, as far as I, I can tell, uh, after this, everything just kind of went silent in regards to the ice ships. And as for Pike, um, <clears throat> he, he, I mean, he gave up on it too. I mean, at that point, he realized that it was really not only unnecessary, but just a little overzealous at this point with just the amount of production and uh, money that go into it. So he ended up dropping it as well. And really, it's interesting because when you continue to read um, through the information, you, you kind of notice that even though Pike was the initial uh, idea man behind it, he kind of got lost uh, towards the end. You know, he, he wasn't really named as often. He didn't really seem to be in it as much uh, as the newer engineers who were trying to rebuild his concept just a few years later. So, I mean, the one thing that he really did get out of it was the fact that this Pikery was named after him. So that's kind of cool. You know, at least there's something. Um, <laughs> but, but in re, yeah, but in regards to the ice boat, I mean, that's, he pretty much has his stamp on there with the Pikery and that's it. And with the really cool idea yeah. for sure. I mean, I think it's one of the coolest ideas I've, I think we've read about. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and take our second break of the evening. You're listening to Parachute Radio. We will be right back after Justin's Paranormal Headlines. And now, Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. How's it going, para-fans? Justin here with your Paranormal Headlines, and these headlines are from unexplainedmysteries.com. Churchill's views on alien life revealed. Britain's wartime prime minister wrote many articles long before ever stepping foot in Downing Street. 
Churchill was certainly no stranger to science, as demonstrated by the fact that he funded many scientific endeavors during his time as Prime Minister, and was the first ever to employ a science advisor. He also regularly met up with prominent scientists of the time, such as Sir Bernard Lavelle. Now a new document has been discovered at the National Churchill Museum in Fulton, Missouri, which shows that Churchill had a keen interest in the possibilities of extraterrestrial life as well. The 11-page draft, which was most likely intended for later publication, was written in 1939, the same year that the Second World War broke out. Intriguingly, Churchill's thinking on the subject was very similar to that of today's scientists. He recognized that water was essential for life to exist on other worlds, and speculated that other planets are likely to be found in orbit around distant stars. He even displayed an understanding of the Goldilocks zone, the narrow region around a star in which the temperature would be just right for liquid water to exist on a planet's surface. On the likelihood of intelligent extraterrestrial life, he suggested that human life on Earth should not be unique given the, given the vastness of the universe. He also maintained that it may one day be possible to visit other nearby worlds. One day, possibly even in the not very distant future, it may be possible to travel to the moon or even to Venus and Mars, he wrote. I, for one, am not so immensely impressed by the success we are making of our civilization here that I am prepared to think we are the only spot in this immense universe which contains living, thinking creatures, or that we are the highest type of mental and physical development which has ever appeared in the vast compass of space and time. UAE plans to build a city on Mars by 2117. The extremely ambitious endeavor, which is known as Mars 2117, was announced in Dubai two days ago. The United Arab Emirates, UAE, has certainly achieved much over the last few decades, including the construction of the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building. Now the country has set its sights even higher, still by revealing plans to build, not in the desert, but on Mars, as part of an ambitious new project designed to colonize the Red Planet within a hundred years. The plan involves building a community on Mars with an emphasis on international cooperation. Human ambitions have no limits and whoever looks into the scientific breakthroughs in the current century believes that human abilities can realize the most important human dream, said Sheikh Mohammed, ruler of Dubai and the Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates. While 100 years certainly offers plenty of time to turn the country's ambitions into reality, there are already plans in motion to begin the exploration of Mars sooner rather than later. One of these, an unmanned mission called Mars Hope, is scheduled to launch in the summer of 2020 and will aim to study the planet's atmosphere and climate. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Sleepover Cinema. Cinema. 
our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarines, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Paratooth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we have been talking about the ice ships of World War II, uh, developed by Jeffrey Pike. Interesting subject. Uh, I think the reason that we, I, I know the reason I wanted to bring it up, and I think the reason that we agreed to bring it up was because this is something that, even though it isn't really a, a myth by any means, because there, it is fact, it's a historical fact that these were uh, thought of being created. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many people out there believe in these, cons- these weird conspiracies, right? And this is one of those conspiracies at one point it was a conspiracy because it, it, the idea was out there, but no one really knew if it was happening, um, which was almost became a reality and had the blueprints and everything. Um, but on top of that, it's not well known. Like a lot of people just don't re- realize that the British were going to make these gigantic ice ships uh, right. during the middle of World War II. And I think that's really cool because I'd never heard about it. You've never heard about it beforehand. I know other people I've talked to who've never heard about it. So it's like, well, hey, if we didn't hear about it, and quite frankly, we got our nose in just about everything, uh, then other people probably didn't hear about it. So, well, it's one of those things where it almost sounds like fantasy or magic. Like <laughs> you, you don't think that putting ice and wood pulp together would create mm-hmm. anything, uh, right, or anything of substance other other than frozen wood pulp but um it it's interesting that it it did come to almost a a climax and it's unfortunate that pike i mean that was his crowning glory Mm -hmm. if he had that much ingenuity with just that he could have easily applied that to anything else but with the humiliation of pike not becoming a thing or the boats not becoming a thing he he was just like yeah, that that's my that's the most I got. <laughs> so it, it it kind of breaks my heart because this guy was obviously an ingenuitive, very smart, yeah. and nothing else came of it other than this one particular substance. Right, and, and I mean, and that's not to say he didn't do other things. You know, he was an English journalist. Uh, he was an educationalist. Uh, but yeah, once he became an uh, an inventor. Uh, even though his ideas were really clever, they just kind of, you know, they, like it says right here online, I, you know, I can't remember, it says his ideas were unorthodox, and I think that's a good word for it, because there's just ideas that really couldn't be implemented in the way that uh, maybe they could be today, you know, but even then, we still don't have the money for that kind of thing. Right. Although, let's be honest, the U.S. would claim that they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even though know the, the populace knows that we're, Billions, if not trillion dollars worth of debt, our, our <laughs> government. But, um, well, but that's the thing too. I mean, I'm sure there were people at some point that thought that Albert Einstein was unorthodox. 
that Aristotle mm-hmm. was unorthodox. Right. Socrates was was unorthodox, but eventually they all got accepted as, as scientists and, and geniuses. Right. So I don't know. It's just one of those things that makes you wonder if if he would have applied or even pushed even harder for not even necessarily Pikery, but any uh, any invention that he did, if he would eventually have had his kaboom moment for his his invention career. So yeah, but you know, I mean, I think there had to be. I think they were thinking too large, you know. I think it'd be cool. I, this is what I think would be kind of cool, especially for people living up north. Uh, and of course, it'd still cost money, but it wouldn't cost billions or millions or whatever. Um, but if they could create small versions of the ice boat that are maybe like two or three person boats, you know, or something no bigger than a yacht, like a fishing they, boat, you know, they, and like build something that they had made in the past, which is about sixty by thirty feet or so. Uh, which is about a thousand ton model, uh, that the Canadians made at the time. And even though I think a thousand tons is still a lot, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> ice and wood, but what are yeah. you going to do? Uh, but still, you know, I think you can implement that and I think it could work, but yeah, creating something huge is just kind of, even to this day, it, it's not necessary. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate that you couldn't construct something smaller in that respect, but it seems like if you were to do it any smaller, it would not be as effective. Right. It wouldn't be as, as effective at all, I don't think. And plus, you still have the same issues to deal with as you do any other mechanical thing because you still need to have uh, a coolant system to keep mm. the pie creek cold. And if the po- coolant system breaks down or goes out, you're going to sit there melting in the middle of the ocean, you know. <laughs> Uh, and really, it's no different than if you're on any other boat or, you know, if, if an engine goes. Now, luckily, they have multiple engines on mm. boats and planes and, you know, whatever. Uh, so you don't really have to worry about it as much. But there's a reason to have backups. And I don't think you can really implement a backup uh, with the cool cooling system. system. Yeah. So. Yeah. So super interesting stuff, guys. Uh, definitely encourage you guys to check this out. It, when Eric brought it up, I'm like, what? In God's name, are you talking about? <laughs> but fair enough, it it was a real thing. <laughs> I thought, what fantasy show are you watching that, that there was these things in World War II? Um, so interesting stuff. I I not sure what more we can say on it, other than it was a cool invention. Indeed. <laughs> So, um, next week we've got another interesting topic for you. It's going to be the Mandela effect. Now, if you guys don't know what the, the Mandela effect is, it's a theory that is out there that alternate realities are interacting with our own, uh, named after Nelson Mandela, which a lot of people believe he died in, or there are people that believe he died in jail, uh, when he was imprisoned, but eventually it, it turned around to where he was freed and became president of South Africa from 1994 to 1998 or 99 rather. So there are people that still remember him dying, but then we also see in any research now that he actually was freed and became president of South Africa. It's an interesting topic. Um, 
the Berenstain Bears are actually tied into this particular subject. So it's one that I've been wanting to cover and one that I think you guys will find most interesting. One thing that Eric brought up a couple weeks ago now was the fact that we are coming up with a new logo. We are kind of doing a rebranding altogether. We're going to be having a new logo. We're going to be having a new intro music, both of which we feel are more representative of what our show is, as well as, uh, like I said, the YouTube video is gone now. We are concentrating specifically on audio. So... Awesome stuff. Same show, guys. It's not changing at all other than, you know, logo and intro. So don't, don't hate us for, for, for changing the stuff. It's just something that we feel better represents the show. All right, folks. Well, that has been the ice boats of World War II. As always, until next week where we will see you same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network. Or for a one-time fix of all of your Paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day. Finally, we love bringing you fresh, entertaining media each and every week, but we can't do it without you. So please check out our Patreon account. Simply go to ParatroopRadio.com, click on the Patreon logo, and help us to continue bringing you the latest and greatest in paranormal research. what ransomware is all about is psychological pressure ransomware when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom attacks are on the rise and russian gangs are making billions of dollars the moment i got that message i knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true the post-cold war era is over dot com the hacking a new season from crowd network with me katie puckrick just search for dot com that's d-o-t-c-o-m and subscribe